0: So uh, today we're going to look at Mary. Uh, We're going to look at Mary in light of the Advent candle of joy. Um, Something I mentioned last Sunday about peace was that you can't have peace without justice. Uh, I find Mary's song, the the Magnificat, that's what the passage you just read is referred to, the Magnificat, this beautiful song, um, talks about joy, but it talks about joy in the midst of justice. It is God lifting up the hungry and the poor and the downtrodden. It is God taking the side of those who have been pushed to the margins, right? And so when we talk about hope and we talk about peace and we talk about joy, we talk about love, as Christians we can never forget the context by which we should experience the world, the way we need to frame our perspective right from the place of those who suffer. And Mary suffers from my perspective, so I'm going to give you I'm going to, like, humanize Mary from my perspective a little bit, humanize Joseph, Um, uh, think about realistically how I think they may have felt. It's not in the Bible. I'm going to go extra Bible, right? So you can just discard everything I say, like, oh, that's just Joe. Uh, But I'm trying to think about, like, what would the world have looked like to them in some way? And there's a lot of pain involved, right? So from the first century Jewish historian Josephus, and I'm grateful to Josephus because we know a lot about the context of when Jesus lived, uh, when the early church was, was uh, emerging in that Roman occupied territory, right? We get a lot of information from Josephus. Uh, not from the, like, right? It's an extra biblical source about this time. Josephus talks about um, a city, Sepphoris, uh, which was very close to Bethlehem. It was a city up on a hill. Those in the area of Nazareth would have been able to see and know that city well. Uh, around the time Jesus is born, it might have been a little before, it might have been a little after, uh, there's actually a Jewish uprising in that city of Sepphoris, uh, and they push Rome out. This is different. I've been talking about the context of the book of Matthew in 66 AD, 66 years right after Jesus' um, uh, death, where they pushed them out of Jerusalem. The Jews pushed Rome out of Jerusalem. This is different. This is them having a fit of rebellion in Sepphoris near Jesus' home in Bethlehem. Uh, Rome cracks down because of this, and uh, they actually killed 2,000 Jewish men, uh, and according to Josephus, the Roman military lined all of the major streets of that area with crucifixes of those who had been killed, those Jewish men, to make a symbol of them, right? to make an example of them. It's a way of Rome saying, this is what happens when you resist. This is the kind of world that Mary and Joseph occupy as peasants, as Jewish peasants without a lot of money, with some. Uh, It's a a Roman-occupied world. It's a world of violence. As you know, when Jesus is born, you have Herod, who ends up feeling threatened and then ordering the execution of all male children two years and younger. So you've got that. I want you to think about the context for Christ's birth as one of total political unrest, instability, violence. When you hear Mary's song, when you hear the teachings of Jesus, you cannot think of it in some idealistic, peaceful, wonderful context. It is a world that is dangerous, uncertain, threatened, right? That's the world that Jesus is born into. So I want to think about Mary just for a minute. The older I get, the more uncomfortable I am with this story. And it, I, you don't have to agree, right? I'm I like, I just It makes me feel uncomfortable to think that when Moses is called by God, Moses says, Mo- will you go? Moses is like, I can't go. And God's like, come on, please. And Moses is like, I don't speak very good. And God's like, come on, we, I'm not a good leader. And he's like, fine, you can go with your brother, right? But it's like Moses gets a say. When Abraham gets called, Abraham's asked, will you go? Will you sacrifice your son? Not Mary. She's told, this happened. This is going to happen to you. Oh, unmarried. She's probably 13 or 14. She's engaged to Joseph, and now she's pregnant. That probably means her death, if Joseph finds out, because it clearly means she had sex with someone else because she didn't with Joseph, what's he going to believe, right? So just picture from Mary's perspective. I'm going to go tell my husband, oh, no, 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 I haven't been with anybody else. The baby is God's. That's not going to go well. That's going to be real trouble. So she's going to be, at best, discarded by Joseph, an unwed mother, which will make her a social leper. She will not be fit for remarriage. This is best case scenario. Worst is she'll get stoned in the city streets. This feels incredibly unfair. This feels wrong to me on so many levels. I'm just going to level with you, right? Like, I want to take the story serious. I want to read it seriously. I can only imagine Mary being bitter, frustrated, scared out of her mind, anxious. Like, she would have all of the feelings that you could imagine that I could imagine, and probably some others. I'm guessing if she's anything like me, she probably has some choice thoughts and words for God. <laughs> Real, me? You're going to do this? Like, this doesn't feel like a gift, God. This feels like you, like I've been cursed. So, I picture all of that being true. I don't know how that couldn't be true. I don't know how the story could be human and not have these feelings be part of Mary's story. And I understand that the Bible's not going to give us all of these details. I recognize that what I'm saying might not inspire, but uh, it brings to life, I think, maybe even more, the power of her song, right? It brings forth the power of the Magnificat. So here's how I picture it. I picture Mary scared. I picture her not knowing what, her future will hold, not really knowing what to do, not knowing how she's going to support Jesus on her own, uh, not knowing how she will tell her family, how she'll deal with being ostracized from them, which she would be, right, being like a social leper. And I try to picture her in a moment of silence. Like, I picture her sitting in a chair, like holding her belly. And in this moment of silence, God breaking through. Like this moment of joy. Maybe she feels Jesus move in her stomach. Maybe she feels him kick. And she's just overcome with like love for this baby. Uh, overcome by the same, like this, the, the peace that surpasses understanding. Like overcome that God is with me in this moment, right now, and that no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what's happening in the world, no matter how violent Rome is or how scared and uncertain my future is, like God is here in this place, right now. And that's what joy is like. Like, I can't exist in a perpetual state of joy, and in fact, I don't trust people who say that they can. I'm just, are, aren't you a little bit distrustful of people who have like fake happiness? Like, oh, I'm happy. Like, what? No, it's great. But your dad just died. It's wonderful. They're dancing in heaven or whatever. Like, no, yes, that may be true, but aren't you also sad? Like, I can't, like, the, I think the extent to which you can experience joy is the extent to which you allow yourself to feel pain. Like, you have to be able to allow yourself to feel all the stuff. Because if you're able to buffer and numb yourself against pain, if you buffer and numb yourself against stuff that's hard, then you're buffering and you're numbing yourself out to all the good too. You don't get to have it one way without the other. There are no free lunches. For Mary to be able to sing the song that she sings, I would argue means she had to allow herself to be really upset and really angry and really scared. But in that moment of quiet, In that moment where God breaks through, maybe she's humming, maybe she's already singing a song to Jesus, maybe she's already, as a mom does, right, rocking and holding her belly and singing, and then this song bursts forth, this moment of joy. So I want to talk a little bit about what this might mean for us. Number one, the only moment that is real, the only moment that exists is this moment right here. I tend to live most of my life in the future or in the past, which means I can't really experience what's going on around me. I'm living in my plans for what I have to do next, my to-do list, my check-off list, and that's where I exist. Or I'm like on my phone looking at email or whatever. Or I'm remembering and I'm nostalgic and I'm thinking about my, but the future is not real. It doesn't exist. It's like it's a mental simulation. That's all the future is. And the past is gone. And I can't go in reverse. Life doesn't go in reverse. The only place you can experience anything real is right here and right now. Joy is encountered when we create enough space in our lives, when we slow down enough and create enough space for us to really experience it in the moment and enjoy it in that moment. And it's not going to last forever Because after Mary sings this song, do you want to know what happens? Her and Joseph have to pack up and flee to Egypt as refugees because of Herod. It's not like joy just lasted forever. It gets replaced by anxiety again and fear again. And she's going to have to allow herself to feel those things too and experience those things too. Because if we allow ourselves to feel the negative, we open space for us to feel real deep joy. I want to read a, a poem. It's by Mary Oliver. And I actually have a picture of her. She's a, a famous poet. Her, her, anyway, her poetry is really beautiful. The poem's called Don't Hesitate. You can Google her if you, if you like poetry and you're looking for some good stuff. Don't Hesitate is the name of it. And I, I read it and I think about joy, but I also think about joy exists here. I have to be here, right? If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate, don't question it, don't feel guilt about it, give into it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns, destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything. But very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Don't be afraid of its excess. Joy is not made to be a crumb. Sorry, I gotta get, I gotta get tissue. This is the pastor you have If it makes you uncomfortable, I apologize, I can't help it. So I think about my own life, and I think about the rat race that I live in often, and then I think about yesterday morning, I woke up, my family was asleep, it's the best time to be awake when everyone else is asleep, I mean, And I sat in my kitchen and I listened to Christmas music and I was looking out and it was like in a moment, in a flash, in an instant, like I just was flooded. I just felt overwhelmed by God's presence, by joy, by grace. Like, I get to be part of this place. I get to have these kids, right? I get to live in this house. And it was overwhelming. And it didn't last forever, and it wasn't like it fixes all the problems of the world. But because I was able to slow down and create just a little bit of space, joy showed up, and God showed up. And I feel like, to some small degree, that's sort of like I experienced what happened to Mary. The second thing I want to say, besides figuring out how to live in the moment, how to be present in your body while you live... That is so vital because I don't know how else you're going to experience anything real if you can't do that, right? The second thing I want to say about joy and about what we learned from Mary is about the power of framing our lives. The stories we tell and the frame we give for our lives matters so much. I gave you one way to frame Mary's experience, right? One that feels unfair, cruel even. Uh, it's fearful, it's terrifying. That's a way to frame it. And I don't think that frame is false. It's just not the only way to frame it. Another way to think of what happens to Mary is something like a divine disruption. A divine disruption, like God has interrupted her life, has taken her life from one path to another. And this happens frequently in ways that I'm not, I don't think God necessarily controls, they just happen. Someone dies, you lose a job. Divine disruption Your life, your future suddenly doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look. Divine disruption. And that is sad and unsettling, and that's true. And at some point, it's also possible to reframe that and to think about that just opened up new possibilities and growth for me. This is a new way for God to use me, change me, shape me. And I want you to think about the power of framing like this. For so much of my life, I framed my dad as someone selfish Someone who did not love me well. Someone who just was unable, just couldn't connect, was thinking mostly about himself. And it created great anger in me. Very, a lot of bitterness, separation between us. And as I got older and I began to frame him, frame his life as he didn't experience love. He never had a dad, ever. His mom was tough. She sent him to boarding school when he was young. I saw him as lost and broken and scared. And all of a sudden, by framing my dad that way, he wasn't the selfish jerk who didn't love me well. He was a broken person who didn't experience love. And all of a sudden, my, my heart softened. You know, it, like, it, it, it grew three sizes that day like the Grinch, right? Like, it, it's, it's just framing it. The Grinch frames the hooves. <laughs> all they care about are the presents. If you get rid of the presents and the food, they don't have any Christmas cheer because that's all they... And then all of a sudden, that's not true, Right? The frame changes, your perspective changes. I think about Longfellow, Henry Longfellow, the guy that wrote, uh, uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. We talked about that um, last Sunday. He wrote, I Heard the Christmas Bells. He wrote it as his wife had died from a fire. His son had been shot in the Civil War. He was in despair and he was sitting in his office, and he began to hear the bells around him, and suddenly, in this moment, joy broke through, hope broke through, God is not done working, and he was convinced of it, and he began to pen that song. From one frame, in one verse, in fact, it is that evil has prevailed, right? That uh, it's too strong, that God has been defeated, and then the very next stanza is, uh, God is not dead and is not done, but love will prevail. The power of framing your lives, like even just thinking about the stories you tell yourself about who you are, what people thinking about you, how people feel about you, how you, how you frame that changes so much of your experience in the world. Is it possible, because Mary certainly finds a way to do this, to go from framing the event as something wholly unfair and negative to framing it as a divine disruption that will open up opportunities to love and serve. If we can do that, if we can begin to do that, I think we create room for joy. I have a few slides. Uh, uh, This slide, I think, uh, might help this idea of like when we talk about joy, what do we mean? Can you go to the next one? Joy is not naive optimism or false happiness. Joy is an eyes-wide-open conviction, a way of framing our experience, our world, That we are headed somewhere better than where we have been. Joy is not naive. It recognizes pain. Joy is a way of framing it that says where we're headed is better than where we have been. Or this from Desmond Tutu, who I love. Oh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. A South African helped lead the Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid ended. Discovering more joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. That is the story of Mary. That is the story of the Magnificat. A story that could embitter, that could leave you hopeless, can be reframed as one that brings great hope and great joy. May we find the ability to be faithful like Mary, to be courageous like Mary, the courage to feel it all, both the good and the bad, such that we might see our lives as living sacrifices in service to God and God's mission for the world. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the example of Mary. We are grateful uh, that she was able to experience what would otherwise be an incredible burden as a divine disruption filled with challenge and opportunity and even joy. May we learn from Mary how to encounter the joy that you provide. Let it inspire us towards a future better than where we are now. Amen. If you would please stand for our closing song.
1: They ran for their lives The crying boy Jesus A son they must hide A dream came to Joseph They fled in the night And they ran and they ran and they ran No stars in the sky, but the Spirit of God, led down into Egypt from Herod to hide. No place for his parents, no country or tribe. And they ran, and they ran, and they ran. Ooh, stay near me, Lord Jesus, when danger is nigh. And keep us from Herod's and all of their lies. I love the Lord Jesus, the refugee king. And we sing and we sing and we sing. And we sing and we sing and we sing. Joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat Repeat the the sounding joy. joy. of his love wonders and wonders, of wonders, wonders of his love joy to the